come on in come on <laughs> come on in. welcome welcome the slow road to better why do we do the slow road to better well we've been lucky where we can talk about it to our our friends people here at the stroke comeback center but now then we can tell more people across the world to learn about it what is the it that we're talking about aphasia stroke yeah. survivors mm-hmm. tbi people life moves on inspiration help listeners that our inspiration of a bridge of hope i love it trying to help each other a lifeline part of it also is we started doing it it's not because not because we just wanted to tell everyone to see what happened to us but also we wanted to get better talking ourselves oh, with the phaser sure. and we wanted to one day it's not gonna the phase is not leaving it but we'd like to crush it a little bit let's listen and listen in Shit. Look at what? Pat's beard. I know, that's something, isn't it? Wow. What? Wow, I mean, yeah. Like, you, you look like Santa. Santa. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, I mean, it's like that's Santa Claus. 100%. I like um, Pat's beard. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. No, Pat. No. I like Pat's beard and I like Jeff's outfit. I like yeah. the whole shebang. Oh my gosh! Good morning, Jeff. I dressed for the show. Man. There you go. <laughs> you will are the uh oh my god, the the man, um, the pilot who land in the ocean. Um, yes. no, 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 the um river. Um, the river. The I wish river I was Sully. I, Sully, uh, yeah. I, uh, I, I, I should be so lucky as to to be Sully. I mean, he's he's everybody's yes. hero in the job. Sully. So, for our listeners, I think you can tell that we have a special guest today on the slow road to better. Per request from the slow road crew, we had a discussion about traveling. And Kitty mentioned she was petrified of getting back on a plane, mostly because I think, not to put words in her mouth, but I think she's afraid her head is going to explode. And she's afraid of the pressure. Yes. Um, in my group at, at, at the seizure, someone said, oh, uh, my Every time I was a short fly or longer fly, the pressure, he is the aura. He's an aura. And I have an aura. I have an aura before I was seizure. I have an aura. I was like, oh, oh shit, oh shit. And then I'm the seizure. Uh, this, is, this is normal. And the doctor said, oh, I'm not sure. Uh, Jeff, do you do you say is it the seizure just normal or not normal? Can we start with before we put Jeff right on the hot seat? <laughs> Jeff, how about tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got sucked into being a special guest? 
And just as a reminder, after Jeff does his introduction, you'll know that he doesn't have MD after his name. So it's in our disclaimer, but remember, these are just all of our stories. If you have medical questions, the best person to ask is your physician. Okay, Jeff, who are you? Very good. I am Jeff Cashman. I was an Air Force officer for 31 years. While in the Air Force, I was a pilot. I flew a B-52 and also a T-37, two very different planes. When I finished my military career, I began to fly for American Airlines. And I had been flying full-time with American Airlines for about two and a half years in 2019 when I got a blood clot in my neck. And that killed a spot on my brain stem. And I spent two and a half years rehabbing. And this past summer, I went back to work. And I'm flying the 787, which is a big wide body plane. You've seen it's got two aisles inside. And I fly trips from Philadelphia to destinations in Europe. And I fly uh, about once a week. A trip is a three-day trip. So I've been doing that since this past summer. And... I have experience in aviation, obviously, and uh, firsthand experience in stroke rehab. So those are my qualifications. Melissa so makes an excellent point. Uh, I am not a doctor. <laughs> so yes, say yes, it again. Yes, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to the, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. I think it's way good that you have started um, flying again in the job. Me too. I, Me too. That was my goal. And I share that if I didn't have this goal to shoot for, I may have stopped my journey on the long road to better earlier, right? Because you, you guys know it's hard. Every day, getting better means doing something hard every day. And I'm going to get choked up now saying that because that's one of the things left over from my stroke. Tom sees this all the time and uh, uh, hopefully he's used to it by now, but um, I get choked up easy. Uh, but the, the road of getting over a stroke means waking up every day and doing something that's again, hard for you. And yeah. um, finding the energy and the persistence to keep doing that is is the challenge of stroke rehab and because i had this super high goal of being able to land an airliner i still had something to try for i got you know mostly better and uh insurance didn't want to pay for any more uh, therapy for me uh their point was additional therapy won't deliver additional recovery we know that's crap but that's the position of insurance companies. Uh, right. And it would have been easy to stop when I got my driver's license back or when I could go to a high school football game that my son played and the noise wasn't so bad that it bothered me. You know, that, that would have been uh, a reasonable spot along my journey to just settle in and live a great life from there on out. But because I had this job, I kept trying. And the Comeback Center was a large part of that. I did this in the company of, of Tom and, and kept doing hard things. 
So, hey, Jeff, let's go back to Kitty's question, because I think it's it's a fair question, not necessarily about, you know, do you think about auras and seizures, but... And what um, is an aura? Aura, uh, the Ooh. epilepsy, the aura. I was an aura and the woman is an aura, just different thing. I was an aura because my ear, Ooh, that is my aura. Kitty, can I share what I think and ask yeah. you to correct me? I have a friend who has epilepsy, Aaron, and he explains to me that before he has a seizure, he has a feeling that the yes. seizure is coming. Mm, yeah, okay. And and that's what he describes as an aura, the, the uh-oh, ah. here it comes kind of thing. Yeah. Ah. So I understood your question, Kitty, to be, you get on a plane and you feel that aura. Mm. Is that is that yes. right? Yes. Does that make sense with the altitude? Well, having a uh, seizure. That's the exact question, Pat. Thanks for asking it. Um, it makes sense to me, but it's not because of any of the physiological things that are going on in the plane. It's not the altitude. It's not the speed. It's because air travel is stressful, right? And it just runs you ragged. You know, it starts when you go to buy your ticket and you move off the web page and then you move back to the web page and they're charging you $60 more. And then, so you go to check out and now they're charging you to select a seat and to check a bag. And Everything about the purchase process is stressful because it's a hundred percent non-refundable for you. But if they don't show up, man, no big deal, right? For them. So then you get to the airport and it's crowded at the curb and noisy, and you got to get through security and the machine beeps and they go through all your stuff, and it's just really crowded and hot, and people are being mean to each other. And by the time you get to your seat, you are already in the red, right? You're already uncomfortable and don't want to be there. Uh, I flew with a captain and said, congratulations, everyone. You've done it. You've done the hard part. Now just sit back and relax and I'll take care of it from here. Because it really is hard to do all the things that it takes to get to your seat on an airliner. And I suggest, Kitty, again, not a doctor, that's what's bringing on the aura, not the altitude of the plane. Mm, Okay. Thank you. (laughs) I had problems with falling before by my, my, before my, I, Stroked out. Stroke, stroke, stroke. So I was, I was already, already, I already scared. So I decided I wasn't gonna fly. fly. Well, and, and <laughs> you can live a happy life. Yes. Never flying, right? Yeah. The fact is, I've been been flying ten times, ten times. So I just didn't. I don't. I just. I don't. I don't know. Maybe ten's your number. Right. Maybe. Maybe. 
Uh, but uh, Kitty, if you were interested in uh, doing it, um, we we think we figured out what it is your trigger, right? It's that mm -hmm. stressful process. So um, what I might do if I were you is that I would introduce a little bit of that process incrementally, a little bit more each time. Like maybe one day you go to the airport and you just walk around the airport a little while. Mm. Uh, and then you, you know, when you start to feel full and maybe if any auras are coming, then you leave. Right. And then a week later you go to the airport and you go through security screening. And I can help you set this up. If this is something you want to try. I was going to say, yeah. because they don't allow you to go through security unless you have a ticket. Chris, you see this hat? Yeah, I'm kind yeah, of a big yeah. deal at airports. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, hope me up, hope me up. <laughs> um, so we can set that, but that that's how I would imagine it. You know, you um, you uh, go through security screening and then you turn around and leave. Um, and then uh, maybe you go all the way to a gate and wait in line for a while there, but you don't board the plane and you turn around and leave. Um, yeah, hook me up, hook me up, Jeff. Build up to it. All right, we can talk about that. And do you think if Kitty is doing, uh, oh, God, the hypobaric chamber, because it is allowing your body to actually get uh highest level and if she is you know uh, wheezy or whatever she stops and is that something that is uh, beneficial um uh, let me read back your question. Uh, I think it deals to make sure I understand it. Yep. I think you're asking about the pressure changes on board yep. a plane. Um, and would that be a trigger for Kitty's uh, seizure? Seizure. Yeah. Um, you know, Tom, I learned from our classmate, Aisha. Um, she used to share stories of her seizures. And um, what I learned from listening to that is they are mysterious, aren't they, Kitty? Like it's yeah. not real obvious what the what the triggers are. You're right. But if you have spent time uh, in a chamber with the pressure increasing or decreasing, and you can tolerate that fine, then I stand by my original theory which is it's not the pressure changes that's your trigger. It's the stress of the airport. Mm. Pat, Pat, did you have a seizure during your airport? Um, I did once, but it was pretty much my fault. Can't not do anything in the morning. So they told me and I had to get there and you know, like seven o'clock in the morning or whatever. You know, I was on the airplane, we were getting ready to go, and I was trying to figure out what medicine I had. And then next thing I know, I was there, and 
there's a cop on top of me and there's Patty yelling at people to save my husband and all this stuff. And I had a, another grandma seizure when I was in, but I don't think that was because I was, for me personally, I was not, it wasn't because of like, I was scared of what was going on in the airport. It was or inside the airplane. I think I just got it because it was too I'm bad in the morning. I you guess. interrupted your normal sleep cycle. It was stressful. I'll share with you all some things I learned in the search for my stroke cause. I was really motivated to find out why I got a blood clot, um, particularly since I knew I wanted to go back to work. And the FAA, who certifies pilots medically to fly, likes to see that you know why so you can fix whatever that is. And then they're happier about letting you come back to work. So I saw a hematologist, a blood doctor, and this doctor had a specialty in hypercoagulable disorders. I can barely say that, um, but that this is blood clots. And she explained to me that uh, strokes have uh, something in common with aviation accidents in that it's not usually one thing that causes your blood clot in the same way that there's not usually a loose screw and the engine falls off the plane. There's like five or six minor things that stacked up together. And once all put together, that added up to a blood clot. And these are stressors that you can control when you travel. Many of them are air travel related. In my case, I had some of the physiological stuff, uh, high body mass index, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, right? Uh, those are stroke risk factors. But I was on a four-day trip uh, where I was sitting in the plane all day long for four days. Um, inactivity fosters blood clots. And I had a layover during that trip. And normally I'm up and walking around and doing interesting things on the layover. But I caught a little cold virus uh, somewhere on that trip which by the way, sometimes associates with a blood clot. And uh, instead of being active during my layover, I spent the whole layover laying in bed in the hotel room and more inactivity, right? More allowing the blood to clot up. Uh, And then I probably didn't drink enough water when I was on the plane. Uh, So being dehydrated contributes. So all these things stacked together gave me a blood clot. So things you can do, drink a lot of water, uh, get up and move during a flight and move before and after the flight too. I was going to ask Jeff, taking a longer trip, you know, um, ways to help, you know, and he said walking during, but, um, but, um, I can't walk during because it's the plane is wobbly. I'm wobbly. <laughs> I do it. I totally do it. Pretend like I need to go to the bathroom, kind of wander yeah. over there just because it's for my legs and I got to keep going, you know, yep. stretching oh, and stuff. You know what else I sometimes do is bring a big elastic band, a TheraBand. You've seen them in the physical therapy um, yeah. uh, clinic. 
and I, you know, hook it through my foot and then push it one way or through both feet and try to pull my feet apart. And, and you can get some of the benefit that way, um, you know, by mm -hmm. exercising your muscles and, and making that blood pump. Um, can I share a couple other suggestions for you, Aaron? Yes. Um, do the long flight, um, you know. Yeah, that was yeah. exactly it. I have family in Hawaii and I like to visit them. And even before the stroke, I stopped flying straight through. I okay. will fly yeah. to California and I will spend a night in a hotel room, at least one night, maybe more. And then I'll fly the next six hours the next day uh, to Hawaii because 12 hours in a plane with a yeah. hour on the front and an hour in between, no human should do that. That's, yeah. that's too hard. So break, break it up. Um, if you are just going as far as California, uh, pay extra if it costs extra to go straight there. Right. Go from Dulles to wherever you're going, uh, you know, Hawaii, Denver. There's well, Hawaii is kind of far. That's a 12 hour one. I, and they don't even have a Dulles to Hawaii. They, you got to go up to Newark or something oh. to, to do that. But um, but what I mean is if you're going to L.A., uh, don't fly my company and go to Dallas and connect and then go to L.A. Find a flight that takes you all the way to L.A., because all of the stressful things that we were yeah. talking about in Kitty's example happen again every time you change planes. You got to take your bag out of the overhead. You got to lug it through the airport. You got to jostle through the crowd and the whole thing. You got to find the gate. All that is hard work. Yeah. So do it once. Get on a plane. And then the other advantage of that is if the flight gets canceled which they do, you're still at home, right? Yeah. Or you're with whoever you're visiting. You're not in Dallas trying to figure out what to do now. And I will share one other bit of advice. Uh, Tom, I learned this from Aisha as well. Uh, we have a friend, a classmate, who had a seizure on a train. And He's in this class. One of the, the biggest headaches that flight attendants deal with are drunk people. They might, maybe they're nervous, right? So they stop in the airport bar and they, they drink a lot to self-medicate or maybe they're just partying. You know, they're on a trip, they're going to Las Vegas and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get drunk. And um, they are quick to, they, they don't have, they don't give drunk people a long leash is what I'm saying. They will kick you off the flight as fast as they can. So they would rather do that before you leave the gate than have to deal with it over Iowa when drunk people start acting up. Um, the problem is because they're so spring loaded against drunk people, they sometimes misdiagnose people with speech problems as drunk. Mm -hmm. So what I recommend is you write on a piece of paper, you know, my name is Jeff and I have aphasia and I sometimes have seizures and, um, you know, whatever else you want to put on here. And I'm a nervous flyer, you know, and when you board the plane, you hand that piece of paper to the flight attendant. And now they know what they're dealing with. 
and it's mm. less likely that you're going to get kicked off. That, that's what I always do because I always had Wilson. Um, can I share so one dumb. other uh, bit of advice? I have been sitting in the cockpit before takeoff, uh, getting ready to go, and one of the passengers comes up and says, I'm a nervous flyer. And these are people who are graduates of programs designed to make it easier for them. And they uh, realize that when you're sitting in the back of the plane and it's flown by some anonymous person that you've never seen before, you know, your whole life is in the hands of who knows what. That's really uncomfortable. But when they come up and they talk to us and they look us in the eye and they see we're pretty squared away, that lowers the temperature a little bit for them. And then they often ask us questions like, are you expecting any turbulence? And I take out my iPad with the weather map on it. And I go, yeah, actually, at about the 30 minute point after takeoff for the next 30 minutes, it's going to be bumpy. And when that happens, they're sitting in the back and they're like, yeah, we knew this was coming. Okay. It's not like, oh, no, we're going to fall out of the sky. It's, it's not as alarming if they had talked to somebody and knew that we expected it. Hey, Jeff. So, Jeff. so if they come to you and say, hey, I'm nervous and I am, have a seizure or whatever, and there's a seat first class, do you basically say, hey, I want you to sit in this seat because I can. This is a really reasonable question, Chris. Uh, I'm, huh. I'm glad you asked it. Um, and let me share with you how the airline business works. As a pilot, I'm in charge of everything from the cockpit door forward. And okay, so I close that cockpit door know. before we push back from the gate. And that is another universe. That is okay. not my universe back there. Okay. Um, some flight attendants might, but in general, the remember when we talked about the bad parts of the airline business where they charge you for bags and they charge you for, you know, they have realized that they can charge people for those upgrades. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and they're not going to give them away when they can make money on them. In fact, rarely do you ever see any first class seats empty. And if you do, there's no way they would let somebody in there. Right. I don't want to say no way, you know, because we're all humans and yep. other individual decisions made by the flight attendants. But in general, they are coached that that seat exists to make money for the company, not to do a nice thing for somebody. I was going to ask. <laughs> it can't hurt to ask. Um, Jeff, is that available um, talking to the pilot available to any airline? Yes. I would put it on my note that we just mm -hmm. described. I ask if I could talk to the pilots before the flight. Okay. Uh, and you know who else does this a lot? little kids little kids come up and we let them touch all the buttons uh you uh, know and, <laughs> well back in the day yes and now not a chance 
No, no, we still do it. We still do. I, I laugh because um, uh, let me back up and say the plane is pretty smart and it's not going to let you flip a switch to break anything. So kids come up and um, we say, hey, you know, hey, touch some stuff if you want. Well, this one kid reaches out and grabs the landing gear lever and goes to raise it while we're on the ground. And it's locked, so you can't do that. But I'm like, that is the worst thing you could have done. Oh, I was going to say, oh, my God. No. Hey, Jeff, doesn't um, on the, like, the, the people are getting in the airplane to land or about to take off, but doesn't one of them like wouldn't you like the not the captain but the other ones they have to go outside and actually walk around the the whole airplane from one side all the way to the other side and yeah, everything that that usually happens about forty five minutes prior to departure time. If you're in the gate area and you're looking out the window, you might see a pilot doing it and it's usually the first officer not the captain that's what i am a first officer who does it i had a a captain um you know because it's a it's a crummy job right when it's raining or cold or so the more junior guy does it and i flew with a captain once and it was a bad weather day and he said hey good news you and i are going to split the walk arounds oh that's awesome i'm gonna (laughs) wait for the punchline <laughs> I'm gonna do them half the time, and you're gonna do them half the time. And I'm like, all right. And he says, I'm gonna do them in the first half of my career when I'm a first officer, <laughs> and you're gonna do them in the second half of my career when you're a first officer. Oh, that's mean. <laughs> Funny, but mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's usually the more junior of the two guys, and rarely, rarely do I ever see anything wrong. But because I'm out there, I imagine that the guys fixing the plane are working harder, more conscientiously, because they know I'm checking their work. Hey, Jeff, can, do you have any advice for any of our listeners where, you know, all of the members of the Slow Road to Better are pretty good communicators. Their aphasia is such that they can make themselves understood might not be easy but they can make it happen do you have advice for our listeners where really because of their aphasia it's really challenging to communicate one and two do you have any advice if people need to fly by themselves and have aphasia tricks people should know that maybe the airlines don't make it well known that people could do to really make all of this less stressful? Yes, that, that's, a, that's a great question, Melissa. Thank you for it. Like Chris said, since 9-11, uh, you can't just walk into airports now. Uh, you know, you get to the security checkpoint and they wanna see your boarding pass uh, before they'll even let you go through security screening. But there are provisions to uh, get special permission to go through. It's hard to talk to any humans on the phone now in the airline business. Um, So I don't know exactly how to tell you to work this out in advance, but you can work it out in advance, go to the ticket counter when you arrive at the airport, and as an escort, get a, um, a pass to go through security, 
that doesn't let you onboard a plane. And that can happen at both ends. So you can have somebody at the gate to catch you when you arrive. It's almost like the unaccompanied minor procedures. If you've seen those kids with the big cowbells around their neck, you know, with the, the, the passes and everything on them. Yep. Um, it's similar to that. And you can, uh, you can get help uh, that way. The other thing I recommend to people, um, you know, we all only have so much energy, right? So much brain energy. And if you spend it thrashing through the airport, by the time you get to the plane, you're, you're depleted, right? Well, any person who wants a wheelchair can pull up to the curb at an airport and say, I'd like a wheelchair. No, they don't give you a test to see if you deserve a wheelchair. And they will push that wheelchair right up to the head of the security line. And then you, oh. get, you go right through security that way, right? And then you get out of your wheelchair. Um, and we talk about uh, miracle flights because sometimes we'll take off and we've got five passengers that use the wheelchair to get on a flight. But after the flight, people don't want to wait around for those wheelchairs to show up. You don't have to keep using a wheelchair if you get to where you're going. You can just get off the flight and walk out of the airport. But I recommend that to you. I will share that those people that run those wheelchairs don't really get paid. It's a full tip proposition. I use it not a lot. It's always there for you. If you're feeling tired, you can just do it. Like I said, they don't they don't check your driver's license. No, I understand that, but it's a lot of airports around here that you wait for 20 minutes to get a wheelchair and it's waiting in line and oh, how about this you have the bag and then you have to wait in line for a ticket and then you have to wait in line for a wheelchair it's it is a debacle and once i get to my miami or whatever I need to stretch. So boarding or unboarding or whatever um, is actually beneficial for me to get my legs walking to the little terminal or whatever the baggage claim. Like that hurts my body. And then once I'm in the terminal i'm fine because it's just a once you loosen up a little bit and you get going you know i get that every morning still oh it's so like literally at 15 20 minutes to stretch in the morning but then let's say two and a half hours waiting or getting to miami basically so that's a long enough time to like your get stiff, get stiff, stiff again and everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you have to 
if it's bumpy, I don't do anything. But if I, there's no turbulence and everything, I head to the bathroom or stretch. That's it. Jeff, did the doctors say that you would never fly again or never work again? And how did you deal with that and push forward? Because um, just like Kitty said, um, she was in retirement, you know? <laughs> I'm in retirement too, but I am going to work again. The doctors don't think I will, you know, but I am. So what advice do you have? Aaron, what a great question. That is the long road to recovery because all of us know that you can keep getting better 10 years after the stroke, right? You can keep building those new neural pathways as long as you're willing to keep doing hard stuff. And, and that's the, the process. Um, you're gonna laugh at this, but when I checked out of the hospital three years ago, having been diagnosed with the stroke, I said to the doctor, so I come back in six months and you do another MRI and we see that that spot has healed up. And he said, oh no, Jack, that spot's dead forever. Mm. So then I asked him, uh, you know, what, what is recovery? Is recovery uh, building compensatory strategies that help me get through life easier? Or is recovery building new neural pathways where I can regain some of the stuff that I used to be able to do? Yeah. You know what his answer was? Yeah, all that. <laughs> so um the hardest part for me Aaron and I'm glad you asked and gave me a chance to tell this story um was not knowing the ending when you break your arm you know there's uh a huge body of work thousands hundreds of thousands of people have broken their arms and they look at the x-ray and they go yeah we know how this goes we put a cast on it for six weeks we take the cast off we x-ray it you're good to go the ending is known from the first day when you hurt your brain you've all heard this you know what they say the brain is mysterious <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> We don't know. <laughs> so uh, my neurologist said when he was in medical school, they had mapped the whole brain and they could tell you this section did this for you and this section did this for you. And they had the, the map all, all built. And then they see, Pat, you'll appreciate this. Then they see people coming back from the war with half their brain shot away and they're walking and talking. And they're like, well, I guess that map isn't really true. You know, so everything is possible. Nobody knows. And the biggest thing in your favor, you already have it, Aaron. Everyone will say, I don't know. But you know. 
and I'm going to get choked up here again. Whether you say you can or you can't, you're right. Mm. Yeah, we are a miracle. (laughs) And you've got it, Aaron. You've got it. Yes. Thank you. Jeff, thank you so, so much. This has been great. You're awesome. I love your honesty too about the airlines because everything you said is right. And, you know, (laughs) after the, you know, Christmas holidays, everybody's all puckered up and disgruntled with the airlines. and, And I can't think of any other better way to wrap it up on this episode of our lawyers made us say this disclaimers what about disclaimers your opinion the group opinion is not valid well it is but it's valid but i'm having a disclaimer so that we don't get in trouble yes doctors doctors who's doctor um they they their doctor yes all right so if people hear something on this podcast you should ask your doctor doctor amen